Hey guys, thanks for joining me for this 30-second episode in Season 2 of Good Questions with Cameron Dole. Special guests for this episode include former New York City prosecutor Charlotte Bismuth. We'll be talking about the new book, Bad Medicine, Catching New York's Deadliest Pill Pusher. We'll also visit with our good friend Jennifer Lommers from Extra. We'll talk about the coverage of last night's Golden Globe Awards. Of course, if you would, please take the time to subscribe, drop a like, comment, leave some feedback, and of course, share with your friends. Well, there are plenty of people out there who claim <laughs> that they have all sorts of powers, you know, from seeing future to telekinesis. And if any of them could just prove it, they could take home a nice little stack of cash. Of course, that's before they get thrown into a windowless fan and taken in for experiments for the rest of their lives. Well, the Center for Inquiry in Los Angeles, they've been running a contest for a few years called the Paranormal Challenge, and the rules are simple. If you can prove you have a superpower, you'll win $250,000. Now, they say they've had tons of people from all over the world apply, saying they have an ability that can't be explained by science. But so far, no one's been able to prove their ability. There is a running list online of the people who've attempted the challenge, now, some recent ones were a telepath who said he could project images into people's heads. There's also a man who said he could make a top spin in strange ways on a table. Now, even though they failed to prove their abilities like everyone else, everyone who enters does have one thing in common, according to the organizers. They say, quote, 100% of the people we've tested completely believe in their own abilities. Well, our first guest is former New York City prosecutor Charlotte Bismuth. We'll talk about the new book, Bad Medicine, Catching New York's Deadliest Pill Pusher. First off, Charlotte, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the show. Thank you. I'm honored to be here. Now, now Charlotte, tell us uh, a little bit about about the book, the, the, the story behind it, and, and kind of how you were first uh, involved in the op opioid crisis, if you will. Absolutely. Bad Medicine is a book about greed. It's a book about pain. And fortunately, it's also about justice. It's from the front lines of the opioid epidemic. As you mentioned, I was a prosecutor in Manhattan, um, and I was assigned to a case that had come in through a tip about a doctor who was selling prescriptions in exchange for cash. Over a four-year investigation and an 18-week trial, we proved that he had been driven by greed. He was selling prescriptions and charging his patients according to the number of prescriptions or the number of pills. We uncovered 16 overdose deaths among his patients, and he was ultimately charged with homicide for two of those. Um, and, you know, none of this would have come to light but for the brave decision of one young man who had overdosed and survived, who didn't want anybody else to get hurt, and who called in a tip to the police. Now, is this uh, the, the 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 pill pusher doctor that you're talking about? Is this the more of uh, a, an odd story, or did you end up finding more and more stories uh, that uh, worked along the same lines, if you will? That's a great question. There actually, you know, there have been a lot of doctors who were pulled into this business by greed because they saw how much money they could make exploiting the addiction of others and exploiting the pain of others. Dr. Lee was one of those. The difference with Dr. Lee was that we were able to uncover 
all the bodies, or at least all the ones that we could trace back to him. And that we were able to actually prove with respect to two of those deaths, a 21-year-old man named Nicholas Rappold and a 37-year-old man named Joseph Haig, that he had caused their overdose deaths. So that level of accountability is unusual. And it's especially unusual today because we see that those who launched the opioid epidemic, Purdue Pharma, members of the Sackler family who own that company, have no accountability for what they did. And it is their false marketing and their lies to the American public and physicians that created the phenomenon of Dr. Lee and all the other corrupt doctors. Now, Charlotte, for you, how eye-opening was the investigation? I mean, did uh, how much did your your view, uh, how much did your view change as you got in and started uh, delving through the information? I mean, how much did uh, the opioid epidemic change in your eyes? That is such a good question. It it changed me entirely. It changed me. I think I'll you know I'll start on a personal level, but it it changed me as a parent. Um, I worked with parents who had lost their children to overdoses. I remember Margaret Rappold, Nicholas Rappold's mom, who talked to me about, you know, loving my kids no matter what, being there for them no matter what, um, and also, you know, keeping a very close eye on them and being honest about the risk. Now, my kids, my kids have felt the difference of me working on on this case for sure. Um, on a professional level, you know, I. I became a prosecutor because I was always offended by abuses of power, abuses of authority. And so uh, it was very rewarding to work on a case of a white-collar narcotics criminal, somebody who had the knowledge, the authority, the access uh, to commit these crimes and to show that we could hold them accountable. So um, I did learn a lot about substance use disorder. It absolutely changed my understanding of um, you know, what it means to suffer from addiction, what kind of response as a human being we can offer to one another when people we know are in pain. Um, and those are, you know, those are the lessons that push me today to continue being an advocate for all victims of the opioid epidemic. And Charlotte, obviously, as a, as a prosecutor, you've spent some time writing things out. But did you ever think that uh, becoming an author was uh, was in the cards for you at any point? No, <laughs> no. In fact, you know, when the case was over after after four very very difficult years and a trial that it seemed would never end, um, I didn't want to talk about the case. I had been as every member of the team had deeply, deeply affected by what I'd heard. And even though I kept in close touch with the families, they've become a very important part of my life. I really had trouble talking about the case. Um, also because I think, you know, a lot of people, um, even though they may be aware of the opioid epidemic, uh, have, have a sense that it, it's something that happens to others. And having met the families who suffered a loss, um, you know, it, it scared me and I think it changed me. And um, that's why I think it's so important now as the epidemic rages on and is getting even worse to put the word out again that, you know, we're all affected by this. We can all take a step forward and come together and help each other. Now, Charlotte, if, if folks want to find more information about the book, uh, Bad Medicine, Catching New York's Deadliest Pill Pusher and, and also everything else you got going social media wise as well. Uh, well, I'm on Twitter at C.E. Business. I have a website, charlottebusiness.com. 
the book is available in your local bookstore, on Amazon, at Barnes & Noble, and I'm donating a part of my proceeds to an organization called Fed Up. It's a coalition of groups founded by parents who've lost their kids. So you can go to the Fed Up website also um, if you've been affected by the opioid epidemic and get some support there. All right. Well, again, the the book, Bad Medicine, Catching New York's Deadliest Pill Pusher, New York City, former New York City prosecutor Charlotte Bismuth. It's been great to visit with you this morning. I wish you a great rest of your week and hopefully we'll catch up again real soon. Thank you very much. Same to you. Well, mac and cheese flavor comes from a powder, at least the gourmet mac and cheese that I like to eat. I don't, don't judge, okay? Now you go shave Manchego on your own time, pal. Now it is kind of amazing. It took this long for a company to make this mashup. Act 2 just created a new flavor of microwave popcorn that tastes like mac and cheese. Now there's no word on exactly when this will hit stores. All the reports say that it's coming soon. Our next guest will be talking about the Golden Globe Awards from last night with extras Jennifer Lommers. Our good friend Jen Lommer and uh, Jen, the last night, uh, well, what were your uh, first impressions of the show, if you will? (laughs) But I feel like it just got awkward from there, right? The whole thing just felt like a crappy Zoom office party. I mean, but but there's you can't help that it's everything's virtual. Um, so, you know, you're going to have technical problems, which there were, uh, people talking over each other, people not knowing when they should start talking to me. It's like, you know, if if we're going to keep doing this, which I think we're going to, um, a tip for anybody who's accepting awards during this ridiculous period (laughs) in our, in our history, don't try to, to be sticky. Don't talk too much. Just like keep your head down and get through it. Do less. Less is more, right? Less is more when it comes to Zoom. That's right. Now, now, Jennifer, do you think that uh, maybe some of the technical issues and all that stuff, do you think maybe that uh, helped just the average American maybe relate a little bit to some of the stars with the issues they were having? <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. And, and I liked when the, when the, um, when the celebrities kind of, and when the winners leaned into it, right? Like Jodie Foster was accepting and, and for a award in pajamas and, you know, with her dog near, nearby. And then you have um, Jason Sudeikis in his hooded sweatshirt. All right. So with the mustache, rocking the mustache. Yeah, it, it did make make people or celebrities, you know, feel a little bit more relatable. Because, listen, technical problems can happen to anybody. And it's, and it's how you roll with it that, that really kind of shows <laughs> what you're made of, right? It's just tough. That's right. Now, now, Jennifer, along those lines, what's what's been the uh, the, the biggest technical gaffe you've had in uh, dur- during COVID and pandemic times? Uh, that's a good question. Um, the biggest technical gaffe. It's it's always funny when someone's face gets frozen in a certain <laughs> in a certain you know, or like when I always have to tell people, I always have to tell celebrities before I interview them. Can you can you can you turn your phone horizontal so I I'm not looking at you like this? You know what I mean? It's yeah, and then and then you have people who uh, there, there's delays where you're talking over each other, and then no, you go, no, you go. It's just it, yeah, it just it, it sucks the the life right out of the interview. <laughs> <laughs> that you know, is, it's like what a few more months of this. 
<laughs> and hopefully we'll all be seeing each other again and giving each other hugs in the red carpet. I, I'm crossing my fingers for that. That's right. Now, now, Jennifer, what was what was your highlight, your peak moment from uh, from the episode from the the award show last night? I would say, I mean, I I liked to me, you know, Chadwick Boseman getting the posthumous acting award for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, his widow accepting, trying to put into words what he would have said. You know, she broke down in tears. The nominees were crying. I was crying. Just very touching, and you can tell how how missed he is in Hollywood and what, the impression that he left. Um, I think that was amazing. I, I, I loved Andrew Day winning Best Actress in the drama for the U.S. versus Billie Holiday. You could tell that even she was surprised. I mean, she just she broke down, too. Um, you know, this was her first major acting role ever. Um, she's so talented. We got her in the press room after her win, but she's just an amazing, amazing, you know, uh, singer and now actress. I mean, I'm sure the, the offers are going to come rolling in for her. Uh, those are my highlights. I mean, it's, it, it, I, I think that they made the most out of just an extraordinary, extraordinary situation. And, and Jennifer, obviously on extra, you guys have uh, full post, uh, post award show coverage. Tell us a little bit about uh, what folks can expect on extra today. Yeah. So we're going to have, we're going to have a full recap, um, all of the headlines, all of the highlights. We're going to have one-on-one interviews, um, with some of the winners that uh, Rachel Lindsay was our correspondent out there in the studio. So they put us in these virtual press rooms, right? And um, and we and we have to submit questions, and you know we get called on as press. Um, so we got a couple of really good moments there that you're going to see. Andrew Day came through, and a couple of others. So yeah, we, we're going to and you know as the day chugs on for us out here in LA. Uh, we're booking some more celebrity interviews, winners and, and nominees as well to see how the night went. So what has, uh, as an interviewer, one of my favorite questions this last year has always been, what's been the most 2020 COVID-related purchase? What What's your go-to question as, as a result of COVID, since you're an interviewer as well? My go-to question? Yeah, with uh, dealing with pandemic-wise. Do you, do you have one? Uh, you know, I always, I always just say, we always talk about how... Um, how how life is, has has you know dramatically changed you know how have how have you changed for the better i always ask people there you um go. that in addition to you know what's your go-to quarantine snack i mean that's always fun but yeah i mean how have you changed for the better like how has this made you a a, a better person no. and you always surprise the answers from that uh, yeah, that's that, that's for sure. Now, what uh, what did you learn most about yourself uh, during pandemic? I mean, did, did did you learn? Did you have to learn a little bit more technically? I I learned exactly how many steps it takes to get from my couch to the refrigerator. <laughs> you know, I I just I learned what I'm what I'm capable of. I mean, I, I feel like this has been a time where we've all had to just kind of sit and reflect on where we're going. And, you know, are, are we where we need to be? And, and it's forced us to kind of, you know, set up parachutes and backup plans in case our number one doesn't work out. I think it's just, yeah, it's forced us to take a, a good, hard look at ourselves. I, I miss my family. You know, my, thank God my parents just got their vaccine a couple of days ago. So it's only a matter of time before I can, I can go and see them, you know, but we've all just had to, I, I think that this has shown us what we're capable of in terms of strength. That's right. Because it, it is not, this has not been easy for anybody. I don't care how much money you have. I don't care, you know, what kind of resources you have. 
this has not been an easy time. And and thank God that we're we're you know almost through it. That's right. And again, uh, extras coverage on the Golden Globes. Jen, always great to visit with you. I, I do want to make sure and let our listeners know where to keep up with everything you've got going social media-wise as well, my friend. Oh, yeah, sure. So you can find me on the Twitters and the Instagram <laughs> at Ben Lommers with two N's. Two N's. Very important. <laughs> that's, that's good stuff. Well, Jen, always great to visit with you, and, and hopefully things will have changed for the better before we visit next time around. I agree. Next time around, hopefully everything will be in person. Thank you so much. Well, maybe this will help you take a break from your social media addiction. The reason you're addicted is the same reason why your dog will roll over, a mouse will run through a maze, or your cat will spend two minutes pretending they actually like you. According to a new study out of New York University, the main reason we use social media is the same as the reason why we can train animals to do tricks for food. We're addicted to the rewards. On social media, the reward is getting a lot of likes. For animals, the reward is getting something to eat. Now here's some proof. The researchers monitored how frequently people posted on social media. When people posted something that got a lot of likes, they started posting more often. Now after they put up a post that bombed, well, they posted less. In other words, getting those likes feels so good we want more of it. So we post more often to keep chasing that dragon. Well, thanks again for joining me for this episode of Good Questions with Cameron Dole. If you ever have a comment, a question, or anything else you'd like to know, you can find me on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, all at GQ with Cam. If you'd like to help out in the funding for this podcast, feel free to click the support tab and follow the instructions. If you have a special guest idea, email me, GQwithCam at gmail.com. Again, be sure and check out the Tee Public website. We've got shirts, stickers, magnets, phone cases, you name it. All kinds of merch available for you. Again, thanks to our good friend Brandon Allen for coming up with the theme music. We're going to let him play us out. Hope you guys have a great rest of your Monday. <laughs>